0: we we'll in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. <clears throat> you and I discussed last week of the fundamentals of our faith to love God and to love others. You and I are in the month of February, and I think it's a great opportunity to talk about love. And you and I talked about how we are commanded to love God and to love others. And I think a very good way to remind ourselves to do that is to remind ourselves of the love of God, to remind ourselves that we are loved by God first. And I think that in the passage of Romans chapter 5 explains that clearly, explains the love of God and how we demonstrated that for you and for me. Romans chapter 5 will begin in verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts Through The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6. But while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. <clears throat> Some of y'all may have heard the story before of um, the two sons who had an abusive father. The abusive father was a drunk. He would... Um, hurt his children physically, verbally, um, any way he could, and he blamed it all on his drunkenness. Now, within the two sons, they actually had different career paths. One of them was just like his father. He was a drunk. He had bitterness in his heart, bitterness in his mind. He was just like his father. But the second son, he was actually a very successful businessman. A very, he had a very successful business. He had a healthy life, a, a good family, good wife and children. And the first son that was just like his father, he was interviewed and said, what has caused you to be so influenced to make the decisions to where you're at right now? And he said, my father, what choice did I have? The second son, who was a businessman, a successful man, he was asked the same question also in an interview. What has caused and influenced you to act the way that you do to bring you to this moment right now? And he said, my father, what choice did I have? You and I today have a choice to make through whatever you and I have gone through. Whatever you and I have gone through, suffering from others, abuse from others, the bad days, the inconveniences of our life, you and I have a choice to make to either be bitter or to be better, to be bigger, to be the Christian and to do the right thing. And why do you and I do that? Why do you and I do that in the midst of suffering? Because Christ suffered for you and for me also. That's why we respond to do what he did, to love others, because he loved you and I first. And now, because of what Christ did on the cross, you and I have purpose. You and I have meaning of life now. You and I have a reason to live. People that think that they can find meaning in, in other things of this world that is not from God, they may think they may have the answer, but it will crumble. But Christ's love for you and for me will never crumble. Christ's love for the world will never crumble. And now we have purpose. And we are to respond in rejoicing in the love of God. That is my main point this morning. We are to rejoice in the love of God. Because you and I have purpose from Christ and what he did. And because we have faith in him. And I talk about faith because in this passage, it's more so a... um, a demonstration of when we put our faith in Christ in what he did. That's what the passage is about. It's more so about our faith. But without what Christ did, it still shows his love. And that's the point. Now, within what you and I just read of chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, you and I notice that it started the verse with a therefore. You and I have to remember that hermeneutical phrase. If we see a therefore, we have to see what it is there for. So let's go to chapter 4, verse verse 21 where it's talking about the faith of Abraham. And this is what it says in verse 21. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's, it's as simple as that. It, and it's a comparison that Paul makes that it shows that Abraham believed God. He, be, he had faith in God and believed the promise given to him. And, you and, and because of that, it was credited to him as righteousness. You and I have that same opportunity to do that to Christ. To do that to Christ, to have faith in him, to believe in him, and to believe in the promise of eternal life. And that's why you and I repent of our sin and have faith in him. And now we have righteousness within on us, but it's Christ's righteousness that is now imputed on us. And that's why, again, the text flows from the passage of faith. That's what the bigger passage is about, which is what you see in verses one through two. Let's continue reading in chapter five, verse one through two. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This gets me to my first point, that God's love for us brings access to him. Because of God's love, because God loves you and me so much, because he loves you and me first, we now have a relationship with him. You and I cannot love God on our own. God had to love us first. And, that, and because he demonstrated that on the cross, we now can respond to that in faith and repentance of our sin. Now, I want to discuss about that word access. Some of your translations may say to obtain an introduction. That's a similar rendering to where you have obtained an introduction to have access. It's a similar rendering. Now, what I'm about to say is going to blow some of your minds right now. The word access in Greek is prosagoge. Watch this now. The Greek word prosagoge it means access. Mind blown, right? Access. That's what it means. Now, within that word, Douglas Moon, his commentary of this word access, it's a similar rendering of an illustration to where it would be the same type of access you and I were to have toward the president. You and I now have access to someone of high authority. This is the same rendering where you and I now have access to the highest being in the universe, and that is God himself. You and I have this same access to this sovereign being to have a relationship with him. That's the point. And now um, you and I are to respond in that Faith. Because why do we have this access? How is it possible to obtain this relationship? It's because of God's love. But how we do so is because of what Christ did on the cross and our faith in him. That's a similar rendering to Ephesians 2 uh, uh, verse 8 where it says that for by grace you've been saved through faith. You and I see that sa- a similar wordage in verse 2. Through Christ we have also obtained access by faith. You and I now have that opportunity because of Christ to rejoice in our relationship, to rejoice in God's love, and for that you and I now have a position of grace. You and I are now standing in the position of grace that Christ has given to you and for me. And how do we respond in that? How do we how do we um rejoice or show appreciation of this grace that we've now been given? We give grace to others. We give grace to those who hurt us because that's what Christ did for you and me. We love others because Christ loved us first. And especially when you and I suffer. Especially when you and I do go through hard times. Especially when we are having a bad day. We—that That is the opportunity to act like Christ the most. Because he suffered first. He suffered for you and for me first. Now, when we do when we do suffer or when we do have a bad day or when we do go through hard times, we can still take courage because Christ endured suffering first. Christ suffered, uh, he endured suffering first and that's why you and I can take courage in that because it's the very God who says he loves us endured suffering first, we can trust him that he'll take care of it. And this does get into my second point that God can show his love By using our suffering for our good. You and I know the principle of Ephesians 1.11 where it says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is currently working all things. That that, that verb is active. I am standing. Y'all are sitting. God is working currently in the present in our lives right now. He is working all things together according to the counsel of his will. And what is his will? It's good. His will is good. It is not evil. His will is good. His will is for us to have a relationship. His will is for the world to repent and to come to him. And he's currently acting within that. And his will is for us to have a relationship with him. You and I, and for those of us that have the relationship with God, you and I can take courage in Christ because he's working within our lives. And he is using anything and everything in our life now for us to become closer to him. You and I know that from Romans 8, 28, as it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's the same book that you and I are now in. Within God's will, God is actively using anything and everything for us to become closer to him in whatever the case Because he wants us to grow. If God's will is for us to have a relationship with him, what better way to give him glory than to act like him? What better way to give him glory than to represent his love and to love others? That does bring a question. How often have you and I been acting like him? How often do you and I act like him when things go wrong? Or when things cannot go right? things cannot come together, when days are piling and they're just getting worse, that's an opportunity to act like him, to trust in him, that he is in charge. He is in control because he is. The text says that hardships, trials, and sufferings can be used, can be used for us to grow in Christ. You and I see that in verses 3 through 5, if you read with me. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. The text explains a process of when you and I endure hardship or suffering. There's suffering, which goes to endurance. This endurance, it goes to character. And this character goes into hope. Hope into what? Hope in God. Hope in God that He is in charge. Hope in God that you can trust in Him. To know that it will all be okay. We can rejoice that God is love and that God is in charge. This very same God that you and I believe in. We rejoice in what can come out of suffering. Now, because again, the text what the text does not say is that God causes suffering. That's not what the text says. The text says that Paul says you rejoice in suffering. You and, you and I don't rejoice that there is suffering. But that's not what the text says also. He says that you and I rejoice in the midst of our suffering. When we have bad days, when someone comes up to us to say that they have cancer, we don't rejoice in that. We don't rejoice in when a family member of ours dies. We don't rejoice in hardship. We rejoice in God's love. We rejoice in the trust that we have in him because we know that he's in charge and that he is in control and he can use it. And we trust outcome because Christ and God is in control of the outcome for us to become closer to him because he's in charge. That is what we trust in. Because again, you you and I see within that of this hope. That's why you and I have hope. And this hope that does not put us to shame is because you and I have hope in Christ. Hope in the Holy Spirit, which is what it says in the end of verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame. What hope is this? It's the hope because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God himself, who is in charge of this universe, he is within our hearts as we suffer. He is within our hearts when we go through hard times. He is in our hearts when you and I have not had a good day in a while. He is within our hearts. That what more reason to rejoice in God's love because he is love and he is within our hearts to love us and shows his love first. And this gets to my third point that God's love has no limits. There are no limitations to God's love. You and I I want to show you um, or demonstrate to you how powerful God's love is. When you and I do suffer, or when you and I endure hardship, God is with you and me. When we go through hard times, God is with us. Even when God suffered on the cross. No one was there for him. When Christ died on the cross, and as he was suffering, there was no one there for him. But even when he endured that suffering by himself, he still chooses to love you and me, to be with us when we suffer because of his good, loving character. His love knows no bound. He does not have boundaries. His love... Has no limits. His love is powerful. And he demonstrated that by suffering on the cross, by suffering through what he endured so that you and I could live. You and I see that within verses six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one wouldn't even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ die for us. There are no limitations to God's love. The text is is clear with logic at this point where you and I know it'll be very hard for us to die for someone that we respect. You and I may say we do, but you and I also know in our hearts that may not happen. It may be easier to die for someone we know, someone that you and I have a relationship with, and some of us in our hearts know that maybe the outcome in reality may not happen. But how much bigger of God's love is expressed that he decided to experience death just so that you and I could live? God's love has no limits. He showed his love by enduring what he did because we were once enemies of God, but because of his love, we are no longer enemies. We are his friends. And you know, this reminds me, I am sick and tired of when this world says that they try to mock God in a sense where, oh, I'm, if I'm loved by God, I can do whatever I want. Or um, uh, if, if God loves, since God is love, God loves me for who I am. No, he doesn't. God loves you and me in spite of what we are. Because if God loved you and me for what we are, we wouldn't need justification. If God loved you and me for what we are, we wouldn't need sanctification. We wouldn't need salvation. Jesus wouldn't have come to die because he loves us for what we are, right? He loves us in spite of what we are. He loves us in spite that we're sinners. He loves us so much that he will change us. He loves us so much that we grow closer to him, to represent him. That is true love. He loves you and me so much to to change us, because you and I were once an enemy of God, and now we are his friend. And you and I know that the wrath of God is still abiding on this world. If God loved the world for what it is, God's wrath wouldn't be abiding on it. If God loved for the world for what it is, he would let it continue to be what it is. And you and I both know that this world is getting worse and worse. And for those of us that think that that's not true, let me give you all a story. There is a uh, a school in California where there was a student who did not believe that they were male or female. They believed they were a cat. And this student would go to school walking on all four legs like this to school. When they would go to class, the student the teacher would allow this by the way, where the student would raise his hand to answer a question. And he wouldn't even answer in English. He would just say, meow, 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 meow. He would actually believe that he's a cat. And, oh my goodness, the, the students, other students, like I think even teachers, gave a petition for this cat to have its own litter box in the school. Because there were bathrooms for the men, there were bathrooms for the women, but there was no bathroom for the cat. This world is getting worse, y'all. But I I do say this, and I do bring this story up because I want to remind us. I want to have just a tad moment of humility because just because you and I were also someone Christ died for. Just as much as Christ died for that situation to become better, to have a chance to repent of of what that disaster was. You and I are no better than those people. Because Christ died for you and me the same. Christ died for the church just as much as he died for that situation. Church, I can't believe I'm about to say this. But if Christ died for you and me, Christ died for the cat. I was supposed to be humorous, but that's okay. (laughs) Anyway. But God does love you and me so much that he wants us to change. He loves us in spite of what we are. He loves us in spite of what we've done to ourselves because of sin. He loves us so much that we no longer sin. That's He wants us to change. And you and I can rejoice in Him and rejoice in God's love. This gets to my fourth point, that you and I now can rejoice in our justified reconciliation. God's love calls us to rejoice in our justified reconciliation. You and I now have a relationship with God because of what he did on the cross. We now have reconciliation. There is no there is no war because we are now on God's side. God has redeemed us to become on his side. You and I see that within verses 9 through 11 as it states, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we now received reconciliation. Because of God's love, we were once an enemy, and now we are his friend. You and I had, we used to have the wrath of God abiding on us, but it doesn't anymore because Christ took that on himself. So that we would not have that punishment. And he did that for those in the future to come to Christ. He did that for the world to respond in repentance and faith. He did that for his enemies. You and I were once an enemy of God. You and I see that within verse 10 as it states. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life again? God demonstrated his love by dying, experiencing death, so that we could live, so that we could live by him. And you and I are called to rejoice in that and rejoice in the new reconciliation that we have, as we see in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we now have received reconciliation. I want to give you a quote from a man named Robert Mounts who um, gave a commentary on this passage. And this this is a quote that he made. God did not wait until we had performed well enough to merit his love. God did not wait until we had performed well enough to merit his love. God does not wait on us to make the first move. He made it for us. He made the first move. And you and I need to respond to that. The world has a chance to respond in repentance and faith. God gave his love to you and me anyway, in spite of what you and I are, so we can change. And now you and I are called to love him. We are called to love others. We are called to evangelize so that they can come to Christ and experience this reconciliation as well. And because of Christ's love, we now have purpose. We now have meaning of life now because of Christ. We once did not have unrighteousness, and now we have Christ's righteousness. Again, to the issue of purpose, this world does not have a purpose on its own. They only have purpose in Christ. Tom Brady, when he won his third uh, championship, he said in an interview, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and think something greater out there is for me? He's at the top of his game. He's won three championships. he's, He's... He's at the Hall of Fame. He he has all this fame and money. What more could he want? What more is there? What more can you and I have if we don't have God? That's the point. You and I now have purpose because of God's love. You and I now have purpose because of what Christ did on the cross. We are called to rejoice in the love of God. And because of Christ's love, now that you and I, um, whatever you and I now do for God's glory is acceptable because we are now have his righteousness. I want to ask you a question. If you and I both know now that whatever you and I do for the glory of God brings in glory and it's acceptable because we have his righteousness, what have you and I been doing recently for God? We're going to have a time of invitation, a time where we can pray to our God, we can pray to the the God who gives us access to him, the highest being, a time where we can reflect on how we can act for God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your demonstration of what you endured on the cross. We thank you for demonstrating what it is to love your enemies and that we are called to love our enemies as well. We're so grateful that you command us to love you, to love others, and that you demonstrated that first. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for that. We make this time to give it to you, to glorify you, and ask that you change us. And we're so grateful that you do love us and that you've shown that. Your glory in Jesus' name.